Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us here today. I am Dr. Cliff. This is the Dr. Cliff Podcast. And today I got a special treat for you, a nice, fun, casual sit-down recording I have with my buddy Josh Randall. Josh is an IT specialist, but also grew up as a skater dude and is part of his local uh, skater bro team. And he is a maker of his own music, uh, pretty much... uh, heavy deep into the hip-hop scene so sit down and relax open up a drink put your feet up and enjoy the dr cliff podcast all right we're live welcome to the podcast mr josh cliff how you doing man good we're sitting in your gorgeous backyard by uh high park at the west end here in toronto you got a little uh what would you call this? Double quarter pipe? It's a, this is a mini ramp. I call it the... We call it the Morty Mini because my daughter's hamster who passed away is buried underneath the concrete. <laughs> I, I've also referred to it as my midlife crisis ramp. Some people buy a Porsche at 45. I decided to pour $2,500 worth of concrete into a form in my backyard. I'm, uh, I'm very lucky that I have uh, an, an old friend uh, that works building concrete skate parks around the world. He's built them in Norway, in uh, Israel, in the States, and a lot of them out west. Unfortunately, we don't have as many skate parks in Toronto as I think there is the need for, especially in the Mm -hmm. West End. In your neck of the woods, there's a whole bunch. They just built a new one that actually Rob, my friend who built this, Rob Pointer, shout out Rob Pointer, um, at a place called Fundy Bay, uh, Mm -hmm. which is off of Warden, just north of Finch. And it's got a really, really cool little uh, bowl pocket to carve and a couple other small features. I like it because it's small. I was never a big, big transition skater. I was always a street skater back in the 90s, but I'm too old to throw myself downstairs anymore. So <laughs> skating transition is uh, has become a, a real love of mine. And, uh, you know, working on getting better at skateboarding in your 40s uh, can be a challenge. Uh, but I love it. I'm I've got a... A, a group of uh, guys that I skate with a lot that are about 15 years younger than me, so they, they keep me young. Wow. Yeah. They, um, we call my friend Alex, who's the leader of the group, we call him Coach. Our brand is called Life Coach. Look at that. Yeah, so we've got... He works at CJ's Graphics, uh, so he has the ability to make some merch for us and stuff like that, but um, it was really cool sort of coming up with my with a, with a new kind of skate posse. I mean, all my friends that I skated with back in the day s- still skateboard, but we all had families and stuff. So the sessions became, you know, maybe once or twice in the summer. And now that everyone's kids are getting a bit older, everyone's skating a little bit more and uh, spending a little bit more time on their boards. But I I still spend a lot more time skating than, than any of my like old homies do, except for my homie Wes, who wants to skate as soon as we're done here. Um, <laughs> but he, he's, he's one of these guys um, that made a career uh, in the skateboarding industry. So he worked... Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he has, I, th- I think, some education in, in marketing communications, but he worked for a Converse Cons brand here in Canada. He worked there for, I think, like 15 years and was just responsible for doing fun things like, you know, little workshops where you teach kids how to make, you know, wooden quarter pipes or skate structures. And then he did one where he hired uh, a friend of mine who, who also skates, who's a contemporary artist to build skate sculptures. And they had a a like an opening in a gallery where they had a sculpture that looked like the ROM, but mm-hmm. it was it was skatable. It was like I don't know, probably about four or five feet high. And they brought in a couple heavy hitters from California from the cons team to skate it. Nice. So that that was that was pretty cool. That was that was a highlight. Um, but yeah, when my kids, when my well, I guess if we're gonna talk about skateboarding. I mean, skateboarding was a big part of my life growing up in the West End in Toronto. Uh, I think it was probably about 1986 or so. Uh, my, my, my friend across the street, his older brother had a copy of the Powell Peralta Bowden's Brigade video and had like a Powell deck and saw these older guys skating. And I was like, I want to do that. So eventually got super into it. And back in those times, it was, uh, you know, skateboarding goes through peaks and valleys. So the Powell days with Tony Hawk and Bones Brigade was a, definitely a peak. And, uh, you know, 
was able to keep going with skateboarding being a huge, huge part of my life uh, through high school. And then we got into the the 90s era of skateboarding where the skateboards got got smaller, became the shape of a popsicle and people were riding really, really small wheels. And it was all about street. Tony Hawk and the and the the vert era was kind of dead, and it was all about street and brands like H Street, and then came into brands like World Industries uh, and Blind Skateboards, and there was kind of a big, there was a bit of a war that was launched between the bigger brands and the independent brands, and all of the street skaters were wearing all of the gear and skating all of the the product from the independent brands, um, and it was kind of a it was it was it was it became sort of like a a very toxic party culture skateboarding Mm -hmm. at that time like it the sheen of the 80s worn off and it got a little dirtier and you know it was it was the skate all day party all night kind of kind of culture uh and then when i got into my early 20s it was like i I, I, like skateboarding and i kind of broke up for a bit uh and would just skate a couple times a year that kind of thing and then when my when my kids were old enough to be on a skateboard i was like okay i got to get these guys skateboards and actually my friend wes who i'm going to skate with later he worked uh or had a connection to a local uh brand here a local company called bait the bait shop and they make they they have a printing um they do like like hand silk screen they make shirts and hoodies and stuff like that but then they also uh screened up a bunch of boards and the, and my kids being i think four and six and my parents having a cottage they were really into fishing and they had the this series of boards that the bait shop which is kind of a fishing play on words they did all these boards that were different fishing lures because the board's kind of like the same shape as a fishing mm. lure so i got my kids these boards that were fishing lures and i went to the shop where my friend worked and got trucks and wheels and bearings and got everyone set up and then when your kids are that age you're, you're always looking for um stuff for them to do especially like march break or summer camp stuff like that so there's a skate park in the west end uh in mississauga called cj's and they had a skate camp so i enrolled my kids in skate camp and you could you could skate the park for free when you pick them up if you if you knew how to skateboard and you signed a waiver, so I would skate the park uh, for an hour with them at the end of the day. Uh, both my kids took to it. Uh, my daughter took to it really really quickly and got really 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 good quickly. She could skate the mini ramp and go over the spine. My son, being a bit younger, he kind of split his time between skateboarding, and scootering, and being seriously into skateboarding. Scootering is kind of a bad word. There's there's not necess- there's a bit <laughs> of a bad blood between skaters and scooters at parks because. Uh, a lot of the scooter scooter kids don't have parents who skateboarded, so they don't know they don't know the, the necessarily the culture of the skate park, like how to share the park and take turns. And there sometimes are clashes between scooter kids and and skateboarders. So sharks and the jets. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, so eventually, I learned that the young man running the desk at the skate park was friends with my sister in law uh, through the neighborhood here. And we became friends, and this is this is Alex, the life coach. He was like, "You got to come and skate some of these outdoor parks." And uh, he took me to—I th- I can't remember where the first trip was. The first trip was—I think we went to a place. I, I, did, no, I think the first no, the first time he took me to a concrete park was the park I want to take you to afterwards. It's called Eighth Street in Mimico. But we went after that. We went to a park in Waterdown, Ontario, and it's a giant four-leaf clover bowl and it doesn't have coping on where you enter it has what they call a roll-in it's like just a big mound you can just roll into it and carve all four corners and you know as they say no pushing in the bowl so the idea is you want to you want to roll in and just keep going and we skated that thing for four hours i got home i could barely climb up the stairs and from that point forward i was like any any time when i didn't have work booked uh, and we could go there during the week when there's not a bunch of scooter kids there. It was like, we were going to parks. So we would go to that park, Aurora, there's Burlington, uh, Milton, Acton. Uh, the one in Aurora has a, has a, a ramp the same size as mine, but it's actually a bowl, which is really fun. Uh, and then a bunch of them in the East End, like the one I was saying before. Fundy Bay is new, but there's one at Warden Elsmere. Um, Durham region has a bunch of really good ones. Pickering, Ajax. 
Uh, and then like we'd be up at my parents' cottage, which is near Perry Sound. So my son and I would drive up to Sudbury. There was like three or four parks there. They weren't they weren't that great. And there's you know we went. I took we well, I took the family to New York City. Uh, we did a road trip to New York City a few summers ago, and we stopped on the way down there and checked out some parks in Pennsylvania and New York State. It's just it's, it's a super fun thing to do. And I mean, skateboarding now, like when I was coming up in the 90s, you couldn't just show up at a skate spot and make friends. It's like you had to, you know, you had to prove yourself. Um, now you go to any skate park and people are cool. I mean, social media has changed skateboarding so much because if you're an asshole at the skate park and you're treating people like shit and you're representing a brand, you're going to be called out on social media and you get dropped by your sponsors. Hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, not only is social media like perfect vehicle for skateboarding because people are, as they say, stacking clips. So all, all these, all this great young talent, they're out there with their phones, filming themselves doing tricks or lines or sessions or whatever, and, and putting them out on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. And it's a perfect vehicle for it. So there's there's uh, like this kid, um, I, I can't remember his name. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, you're you're familiar? Are you familiar with the brand Supreme? Not really. Okay, so Supreme is a is a New York based fashion brand, if I'm not mistaken. But they also have a huge skateboarding arm of the business, uh, and they have an amazing skate team. And they've put out a couple of videos uh, made by some up and coming filmmakers. One of them is called Cherry. It's one of my favorite skate videos, and it's all shot in black and white. And this, what the hell is this name? I I, I don't want to say it wrong, so I'm just going to look up the skate team here for Supreme. What is it that you think, like, why is uh, skateboarding such a big deal, almost like emotionally? It's like a, a, a part of someone's life, especially growing up. You talked about finding skateboarding, and when I talk to uh, skateboarders or... Very similar when I talk to surfers, um, they don't they don't talk about it the same way as a martial artist would or a hockey player would about their sport. Like it's it's different than just being a sport. Well, that's exactly it. My my friend Wes, I think, coined it best. Is like skateboarding isn't a sport. Skateboarding is a culture, mm. right? So there's there's just so much more about it than just riding around on a board. I mean, it's it's it's. It's the way that you talk. It's the way that you dress. It's uh, it's got a counterculture element to it. Um, you know, when I was skateboarding in the '80s, my you know my dad would like call, call us vandals, you know, and we'd go downtown, and there were no skate parks back then. Like nowadays, everyone's so lucky to have these amazing skateboarding facilities to skate. We would go, and and downtown Toronto was our skate park. All of the office buildings with all of their granite and marble, and I mean, I'd be lying if I said we weren't damaging the stuff. But we didn't give a shit. I mean, mm. I even like I even got I even got arrested once for we were skating a spot, and security would come and kick you out. And then every once in a while, security would come and like threaten to call the cops. And this one time, security came. They said they were going to call the cops, and somebody yelled "cops." And I thought everyone was, I thought everyone was bailing, and I was the only person who ran away. And these two giant cops would like chase me down, tackle me to the ground. And if the guy put me in a half Nelson, I mean, he must have been six foot six because I'm not a, I'm not a small dude and threw me in the back of the cop car and took me to 52 division. And my parents had to come pick me up. And unfortunately, that was, you know, it was a bit of a dividing point for me and my parents because, you know, they were pretty rough with me and my parents didn't say shit. Mm. You know, I mean, at the time you're a kid. OK, you just got arrested. I actually I wasn't charged. They, I think that it was a scare tactic thing. But my parents later told me, they're like, well, we didn't really want to challenge the cops because we were at home. We had some friends over and we were like deep into the wine. And this was like in the 80s, just when like ride program and drinking and driving awareness was coming to be. And my grandfather had uh, been pulled over by ride, leaving our house like a few weeks before that and ended up getting like a 40 hours, 48 hour suspension. So they were worried about drinking and driving. But I, I mean, at the time, you, you wish your parents come out swinging for you. So just back to this, the, the, the young man's name is Deshaun Jones. He rides for, for Supreme. And I think the story is is that he did this trick, which is called the 360 kickflip. And the, the, the trick's names sort of go through this evolution. Like when, when that trick first came out, when a guy named Rodney Mullen invented it, it was called the 360 kickflip. Uh, then it went to being called a three flip 
or an ollie flip and then now they call it a it then it went to being called a tray flip and now it's just called a tray so he did this tray down this famous stair set in new york city ended up getting sponsored by supreme as a result of that one trick if if i'm not mistaken about mm. that's that story so that's where the social media piece sort of comes in it with it being like this perfect fit for the for the culture of skateboarding it gets the kids names out yeah like what they're able to do yeah. and 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 it's you know, social media's got that nice with TikTok and Instagram and whatnot. It's got that nice five, ten seconds. That's it, right? Yeah. Like you don't need to have this big long story. Um, you literally, the trick is a half a second. Yeah. You know, so you can just bam, bam, stack tricks on top of each other. You got a ten second video, and it's actually got ten, ten tricks in it. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, it was all um, you know VHSC. Uh, when we were we were film, we did a lot of filming uh, when I was a kid. I wish that I still had a lot of that material. We we had um, a really unfortunate incident where my my good friend at the time, Jesse Sorensen, he was on his way to becoming sponsored by a, a company called Alien Workshop, which is still a pretty popular skate brand to today. We were skating and we were going back to my place, and we got off the subway, and I'm like. Do you have the camera? It's like, no, don't you have the camera? And like, we left the camera bag on the subway. <sighs> and we lost all of our footage. Because there's no cloud backup then or anything like that. Yeah, and also when I think when I fell when I fell out of love with skateboarding, um, I don't my dad is a bit of a the kind of guy that just throws stuff out. So I think some tapes got thrown out. I do have a few reels. And back to the Life Coach crew, I got to give a, a shout out to my friend Kieran. Um, you know, when I first started skating with these guys, and I'm just getting back into it, it's like everywhere they're going, they're filming. And I'm like, don't point the fucking camera at me. Like in skateboarding, you call the camera the bail gun because often it sometimes has that effect. I mean, if, especially if you're not a pro, I mean, you point that thing at me, I'm, I'm going to eat shit. Uh, and then I kind of got a little bit more accustomed to them filming all the time and i never I, for the longest time i couldn't really understand it i was like why are, why are these guys filming you know and then they start releasing clips on youtube and like kieran would edit together these clips with music and it would be you know like we started kind of the life coach thing started to becoming a little bit more serious and he he started putting out clips on our channel um which is at life coach skateboards so you can find us on instagram and on youtube i'll make sure that i have the the name absolutely correct there might be an underscore that i don't think there i'll is. throw it in the yeah. um like the description of the of the podcast so a direct link for people so we were you know after a few years of this and then kieran's like they start talking about this idea of a bro video is what they call it and there's there's guys that even have like well like i guess we have a we have a bro team right it's like you're not it's not a pro team it's a bro team yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there's the life coach bro team, and there's there's actually a crew over in the in the West End here at Ossington. Um, they have these these um, red curbs at the at the side of the school, which is over in the Ossington and Queen neighborhood. I can't remember the name of the school, but the the curbs like they have, the spot has a name, like spots have names. So it's called the Dad Beer Curbs. So they have the Dad Beer crew, and they like have merch and stuff too. People go and skate the Dad Beer Curbs. It's no. actually a pretty cool spot. Uh, I don't know the guys personally, or I would give them a shout out, but I, I think if you Google dad beer curb, you can find more information about that spot and about what goes on over there. So the idea that we've, that we're going to put together this, this bro video, I'm like, start to get a little bit excited about it. So when I took my break from skateboarding, one of the, um, one of the things that I had been really interested in, and this actually does relate back to skateboarding was like, Skateboarding took this turn before everything went independent with the blind skateboards and like the whole um, vision. So Mark Gonzalez is a, is a famous skateboarder. And he rode for a long time for this company called Vision. And he decided uh, that he wanted to get away from the corporate skating and start his own company. So he started a company called Blind Skateboards from Vision to Blind. This was kind of around the time where skateboarding went hip hop. Like it happened. Skateboarding used to be all thrash punk, surf punk, stuff like that was all the music in the skate videos. And then you started to see these guys um, using uh, clips from groups like the Souls of Mischief, like had a, had a song in the a Plan B, which was another skateboard company, had the, a video that had this Souls of Mischief song in it. And 
uh, Souls of Mischief and the Hieroglyphics crew, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, these Oakland Bay, San Francisco Bay Area rappers, their music started getting featured in skate videos. And then you started to see some early gangster rap stuff in, in videos. And then all, all of a sudden, me and all my friends were now listening to, you know, NWA and uh, West Coast gangster rap stuff. And then, uh, you know, I started, I learned about a tribe called Quest through skateboarding. And Tom Green, uh, he had a rap group called uh, Organized Rhyme. And we went to go, a friend of mine was a skate photographer, but he was from Ottawa and he knew Tom. And he, we, we went to go see Organized Ryan perform at some little venue in, in the West End. I, I, I saw this dude up there. And when you go to a, uh, when you go to a rap show, like the DJ plays for a little bit first. And then they'll come out and do the show. So I saw Jordy up there with his turntables and he was playing stuff that I, that I knew because it was, there was a lot of, at that time for, for that particular group, they were playing a lot of songs that we knew from the skate videos. And even going way back when, like in skateboarding culture, you learn about music from the skate videos. And that, that, that even happens to this day. Like if somebody's got a, a really cool Instagram or YouTube clip, you might learn about a song through that, through that clip that you didn't know about before. So I see Jordy DJing there and I was like, I, I, not only do I want to discover, now I want to do that. So me, I got uh, turntables, or sorry, I had one turntable and we had this realistic mixer from Radio Shack that my dad used to use to put music over our home videos on that VHSC video camera that we lost on the subway. He ended up getting another one. We were blessed. My, my parents, my dad, you know, I wouldn't say we were like rich, but my parents did okay. I mean, we lived in Etobicoke in, in a, you know, a pretty nice neighborhood and my parents were able to afford a video camera, which was awesome. Um, thanks dad. So I brought this mixer over to my friend's place and I had one of my parents' turntables and he had another, he had his turntable and we set up like a DJ setup and uh, shout to Dave Yan, DJ Sirius. He's like, it's a whole nother story about where he's taking his craft, um, which maybe we'll, we'll talk about on another podcast, but got into DJ culture at that point of time and then started saving up to get turntables and started buying records. And uh, I, it's something that I still love to do to this day, I have probably about 3,500 records upstairs and DJing went digital uh, in the early 2000s, which kind of allowed this to marry with my my tech background. Like when it, 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 when it, when it became that you could use digital audio files instead of relying only on your record collection, if you had the know-how, you could be, you could have any song you want. So it, that kind of opened up that world. But I, I kind of want to cap off what we were talking about skateboarding a, a little bit before we move into, in, into that. So Kieran, he's like, I'm going to cut together this video. I'm, I, I've got a full length bro video like in the can here. And he was like, I mean, he, he, he knew that I DJed because every time we drive to these parks, I'd always be playing my mixes or different music that I've been selecting for DJ mixes or, or DJ nights um, when I was still actively DJing pandemic certainly put a, a damper on that stuff so i i cut together a folder of obscure stuff that i had i, I found these records um in kingston in this record store the, the, the records called the production source and these are records that they used to use to make uh, on-air commercials uh or use use for fillers and drops like in radio shows back in the 70s these records were produced i think in the late 60s early 70s so it would be the record would be like you know, accordion, thirty seconds, or uh, banjo, or uh, moog, or moog, or however you would say it. Or it would just have these little snippets of music, and it, this is the kind of stuff that would definitely be, or I hope, uh, royalty free. You know, if you if you post stuff on YouTube and it's got you know commercial music in it, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a mute or you're gonna get a takedown. So we were looking for that stuff for our video because we wanted to put it out on on YouTube. And again, hopefully we'll get a link to the video at the end. So I, I supplied a, a bunch of stuff that we use for the video and stuff where I would play a little bit of the, the track and then like spin the record backwards or do some scratches or put some effects over top of it. And it really, really worked well with Kieran's video editing. Cause he's, he's a, he's a, he's a very talented video editor. Uh, and then boom, we've got a bro video and I, I've got a part and we actually, I, I gave Kieran Kieran helped me being a video editor. He helped me um, with some of the transcoding that I did of some of these old VHSC tapes because I, I bought a really cheap USB to co component video uh, adapter so that I could copy the tapes to my computer. But the audio was off a bit, 
So he helped me re-edit them so the audio was synced up again. And a couple of the tapes were from skateboarding back in the 90s. So in, in, in my part, I've actually got a couple of tricks from me from when I was like 15 years old. <laughs> in, the, in the video, and it's on YouTube. You've shown it to your kids. I've made my kids watch it. Nice. Yes. Were yes. they impressed or did, were they embarrassed by what you were doing at 15? Mm, well, my kids are... My, my my daughter more so than my son, but my kids are always embarrassed by me. You know? <laughs> Good, you're doing your job right. Yeah, so it's like the fact that I DJ and the fact that I skateboard and you know the fact that I'm a, a big music nerd, mostly '90s rap and and reggae and soul and funk and stuff like that. Like to them, it's like I drive my kids anywhere. As soon as we get anywhere near the school or their friend's house, like they turn the radio off, turn it off, turn it off, Dad. My daughter, I think her quote was my. She was like, my, my, my wife, Alyssa, said to Vivian, my daughter, how embarrassing am I? And she said, you're 11 out of 10 embarrassing. And she said, how embarrassing is dad? And she said, he's like 43 out of 10 embarrassing. <laughs> how old are your kids, though? Uh, Vivian just turned 14. All right. And William's 11. He'll be 12 this summer. So you could be the coolest father in the world. Doesn't matter. I don't think they're going to let me know. They're, they're, they're not. They're going to be embarrassed by you. But, and I'm speaking from experience, my daughter's 20. My two boys are 22. Uh, the the boys don't express it, but uh, they're going to be listening to this. I know, I know how you feel, guys. I love <laughs> you. You're you're proud of me. I appreciate that. Um, but Emily talks about it all the time, and her friends comment to her because they see the stuff I do on Instagram and on YouTube and whatnot, and they just keep saying your dad's the coolest dad in the world. Um, now I think they put that caveat that it's the coolest dad, which is different than just you know, a coolest guy, um, or a really cool guy, but, uh, she didn't think that when she was 14. Um, and I think, uh, you're on a, you're on a pretty steady track to being uh, one of the coolest dads in the world, I think. Oh, thanks Cliff. I think, <laughs> I think you're pretty cool too. They're going to feel it. They're going to feel it. Uh, they're going to, they're going to appreciate it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, we we've been working pro professionally together for I think almost ten years now, or yeah. close to eight. Were you at the Were you only at the new place? I helped you move when you okay. when you amalgamated all your Markham clinics. I think when you brought Liz on board. Okay. She referred me. She and she was the over at she was the office manager over at the Brampton clinic. Yeah. So you know it might have been the move to the Brampton clinic as well. Yeah, I know. I, I worked at your old Brampton Clinic. I, I came in there when Liz uh, was there. Okay. So, yeah, it's got to be a, a good decade because I sold the Brampton Clinic in 2013, uh, which is when I made the move. Um, got a big giant squirrel. Uh, <laughs> urban, urban Safari, here we come. Uh, two hey, if they get hurt, you can, you can help them out right I here. I can help them out, that's right. Um, I now have an accreditation for uh, mobile on-the-street wildlife veterinarian. I can actually take care of them and not get in trouble by my college. That's a big. Uh, that's, that's really big, cool. That's a big deal. Yeah, I had to get inspected and and uh, do interviews and and you know show that I know what I'm doing and it was kind of neat. Uh, it was a big uh, feather in my cap. But yeah, so you've been uh, you've been making our computers run and uh, keeping you know I'll call you up every once in a while and say the internet's broken uh, when something doesn't work. But uh, yeah, it's got to be a decade. Yeah, at, at least without a doubt. And I had no idea. Uh, I mean, why would we talk about this, right? This is this is one of the things I actually I really like about this podcast is I'm already starting. I've only done, this will be, I think, our 16th or 17th episode. Uh, and a lot of the stuff is just me talking to myself, but I'm getting more and more into uh, getting guests on. And I'll start talking to guests, and I think I know them. And then we, and then we go off very quickly off topic from what I was expecting us to to talk about and not requiring us to talk about, I just like, you know, just shooting the shit and seeing where it goes. And I and I realize, oh my goodness, you're you're an actual person. Like you're a complicated <laughs> person with with interests far wider than I ever anticipated. And I mean, so for this is a perfect example. I knew you were into skateboarding. I didn't two years ago until I started seeing you post stuff about you and your son uh, skateboarding and you knew what you're doing. So clearly you had a history and then you start posting stuff about your, uh, your music mixing and your DJing and, and, and uh, playing around with the uh, turntable. I had no idea. Um, 
kind of makes sense though the 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 age that you are and 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 whatnot and you're quite creative um and then we come you know we start this podcast and i'm loving it i'm loving learning about the the skateboard culture and the history and and but i had no I had no idea you were this much into it. Well, it's um, not something you really want to put on your resume. My my wife is always like, whenever <laughs> we go to someone's house, she's like, please don't talk about skateboarding, you know, or don't, you know, don't talk about rap music, you know. I, but I, I mean, you got to talk about what you love. And I mean, every once in a while, like, I'll I'll find a connection with someone, and mm. it's usually skateboarding or 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 music. I mean, everybody everybody loves music. And my my argument would be you definitely want to talk about that stuff because half of the people at the party are there for their significant other and even a percentage of the people that are there for themselves like you know it's a business party or all of their friends some of them don't want to be there either they kind of feel a little bit social obligation which is understandable and and maybe they don't it's just not their thing um where they find these sort of get-togethers a little bit boring and it's because no one really gets into their what they're passionate about and starts talking. Everyone's, oh, did you see what you heard on the, what, you know, talk about the news today? Or I go to these things, well, we don't do them right now, but um, I, I'll be telling people, don't talk to me about coronavirus. Like, I, I don't even listen to the news anymore. You it's know, a good, it's just, it's a there's, good idea. there's just too much. And, and you know, I really want to hear about what people do. And, and I think when you start talking to people and, hey, tell me about yourself. Hey, man, nice to meet you. And, you know, let's say it's the, 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 you're the token spouse, the token husband talking with the other husband, and you're all of a sudden supposed to be best friends, right? You're, you're supposed to entertain each other. Um, if they just tell you what their job is, unless their job is really awesome, um, okay, great. You sell diddlywinks and count you know, peanuts, um, you know, that, that, you know, tell me, let's get, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. My, my um, dad, um, used to have this thing where if they were at a party, because my, my mom works in hospital fundraising, so they'd have to go to lots of events. My dad would pull a George Costanza and, and say that, not to say that he was an architect, but he would say he was a nuclear physicist <laughs> just so that people would want to talk to him or, or, and I guess if he ran into a real science person, then then the, the gig would be up. But some, sometimes he got away with it. But even if the gig's up, that makes the party really interesting. <laughs> yeah. You can just say, ah, oh, man, you got me. I'm not a nuclear yeah. scientist. I, I just say this because it's, you know, these parties are boring otherwise. And the guy will start laughing and, and, and probably bring up that he was, that he's in a punk rock band or something, you know? Yeah, my um, dad was big into, into R&B, James Brown. I mean, they, they went... My, my dad actually went down to Detroit to see a James Brown concert back when things were pretty heavy with uh, the civil rights stuff going on in in, wow. in uh, the 60s. There was rioting in Detroit, and they went down to see the show, and the, the guy at the border looked at these four white kids in the car and be like, are you sure you want to go over there? And and he did. And I, you know, I was I always was like, man, I wish my parents went and saw, like, Led Zeppelin or, you know, some, my mom was big into the Stones. They saw them a, a lot of times. But I was a big Zeppelin fan as a teenager. And then when I, when I started getting more into hip-hop and hip-hop you know relies so heavily on james brown some of his drum breaks uh are used in so many so many different songs i i do have this 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 pride about knowing that he was such a big james brown fan but i mean they they do listen to such a a short catalog of that piece of music like being a music nerd i still to this day introduce my dad to new music from his era that he's never heard and most of it is music that i learn about because the music that i love has sampled that music Hmm. So that's a big love of mine is, is is trying to find these songs that are sampled. And my friend um, Dave, who I first got into DJing with, he has a, a crew. They're called Cratery. Uh, you can Google them, and I'll send you a link to it, where they um, do videos about finding these really, really rare records. And they actually have a, not right now because of COVID, but they have a convention that they do uh, every year here in Toronto where they bring up some big names from... Uh, the the um, record business, uh, especially some of these more rare labels where stuff that was sampled or stuff that was reissued, uh, and they have these conventions where they bring guys up to sell rare re reissues of records or edits or or stuff like that. Um, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link to talk about more about this stuff, but it's a big it's a big 
love of mine. I've I'm, been trying to find, I don't know the name offhand because it's for my brother-in-law in, -law in uh, Germany. Um, shout out to uh, Andoni. I've been trying to find him. There's a very rare Ponies album, uh, which I guess is some sort of super independent punk rock band. Uh, I remember going into the, the, the black market, the used uh, clothing store here on... Uh, I think they're on Bayview. No, they're not on Bayview Street. Queen Street. Queen Street and Bayview, I think. Um, and they have a tiny little, you know, it's this used clothing store, retro clothing store place. And they have a tiny little, uh, uh, actually, it's funny. They got a, a barber shop in the basement as well. And it looks like a barber shop straight out of 80s hip hop. Uh, yeah. And they're playing old clips of Mike Tyson fights. Uh, and things of the and news clips like uh, and then they have a, a little record shop there as well. Clearly, somebody who worked there or one of the original founding members of this this store was also into you know music and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna use this uh, this 300 square feet place to throw in some uh, used uh, used odd music." And I asked the tattooed, covered, face pierced half shaved head female uh behind the desk at this uh record uh little cubby hole in the black market for this ponies album and the look she gave me it's probably like the look that your father got crossing the border going into detroit <laughs> it was like are you are you are you sure and she just gave me this look and i said oh it's for my uh it's for my brother-in-law in uh in germany and she kind of nodded her head of oh, okay that makes sense um because although i have tattoos and i don't think i had a no, I must have had my beard then. Um, but, you know, I still don't look like the type of guy that'd be listening to to that band. But uh, I'm going to have to reach out to your buddy because uh, if I could show up in Germany one day with this album, that's almost impossible to find. Send me a link. I have several friends in the in in the business of um, reselling records, some dealers. There and I, I might be able to find it for you. You're going to talk to your dealer for me. Yeah, Good. my dealer. It's Black Crack. That's what we call records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been buying a lot of records during the pandemic and I, I actually I just released a new mix yesterday that was all 45s. So my collection is mostly 12 inches. Uh, I haven't really been big into collecting 45s and I watched this DJ from Japan um, do this like amazing uh, DJ mix. It's all 45s and it blew my mind. I've seen lots of guys do it like shout to Scratch Bastard. He always plays stuff with 45s or even seeing like Bismarcky had these limited edition Techniques 1200s that were actually seven inch platters. So the turntables were the size of a 45, but they were like the, the same, you know, the same classic DJ turntable, the Techniques SL 1200, but they were smaller and the platter was seven inches. And he did a set of all 45s on those once I, when I saw him live. It was the coolest thing ever. I, I, I think Panasonic, who owns Techniques, I think they only made like maybe 20 of them or something like that. But nobody beats the biz, so he got a pair. Um, 45s are just, they're so iconic, right? And they come out of old jukeboxes. And what's that Tarantino movie? I think it's like Death Proof or something like that, where there's like all these close-up shots of all the all the Soul 45s that they're playing. Mm -hmm. It's just, just such a cool tactile thing, you know? And, uh, you know, we're losing all of these things. Like, I worked at Blockbuster Video when I was a kid, you know? And my kids don't know the struggle of going to the Blockbuster Video and having a you know try to find something worth that was watching. your saturday night yeah that was your uh that was your your foreplay almost yeah, exactly right or if you're lucky you didn't watch the movie yeah that's true um, but then the foreplay was really good yeah <laughs> uh and you know i remember working there like i had the josh's picks shelf you know i'd have like goodfellas and killing zoe and i can't remember what else i had on there wow uh yeah i i mean the the streaming platforms have just kind of just made homogenized everything it's so i like i i don't know how many times i've just spent 45 minutes on the menu trying to find something to watch it's like you got to have your laptop with you to look something up or have I a find the really like netflix when it was pretty much the only show uh the only streaming service um they were coming out with some really good stuff uh all the netflix originals and whatnot and now that there's so many and i guess they're trying to spit out their own content to just keep people watching um, it's really diluted what they. What well, the they Oscars. Have. I think the Oscars this year, like half of the movies that are. It's all Netflix. They're, yeah. they're Netflix productions, and yet they can also go for. Uh, they can also win Emmys. Like it's this Spielberg had a. 
he lost his shit a couple of years ago because a I think it was a foreign film. It was a, a Spanish film. Um, I can't remember what. Yeah, it, I, I think I know the one you're talking and, about. And they ended up, I guess, submitting and and being accepted on the short list for both best movie on TV, like best television movie, as well as. So they 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 were nominated for an Emmy for TV and also nominated for an Oscar. And the way they did it was they they came out and I, it's like I'm making this up, but you got to be in 50 theaters for two weeks time within a certain time period to be eligible yeah. to be nominated for the category. So they did that and then they came out on Netflix or at the same time they came out on Netflix. So they ended up. Uh, I think they won international or foreign movie. film. Yeah, foreign film for an Oscar, and they won something similar for an Emmy. And Spielberg just lost his shit and said, "This is like this is not right. You got it, one or the other. You know, you can't you can't go for both. This is not uh, this is not going to be good for our art." And uh, I don't know if that's what's happened, but so far I think he's right because it's uh, it's become super diluted. Um, I'm having trouble right now trying to find stuff on on the streaming services that I uh, that I'm actually hooked to uh, and really really want to enjoy. Though the Get Down, talking about uh, uh, R and B and rap and and whatnot, have you seen the Get yeah, Down? Yeah, so good. Have you seen the second one? No, I haven't seen the second one. I was. So for people watching The Get Down, takes place, it's maybe six episodes, eight episodes, takes place in the early 70s, and like disco's coming out. Hip-hop's fashion, coming in. Hip-hop's coming in, and it's about these kids, and there's some love interests, and there's gentrification going on in New York, and Will Smith's kid plays a, a co-starring role and does an amazing job um, uh, as this character. Really, really cool R&B music, um, or... Really, really cool rap music. Excuse me. Well, they break down. Um, hip- they break down how how it all started, right? Yeah, yeah. And and but so, anyways, the the second one I literally just finished a week ago, uh, and I finished it within about three days. So that shows that it was good. And I was worried that it was gonna suck in comparison, but uh, you'd enjoy it. It's it's pretty fantastic. Well, I love, and I think they go into the into the. On, on that, I, I might be mistaken with another show, but I've definitely seen the get down. It's been a minute because I've, you know, watching so much crap during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, where they break down, you know, how they use two copies of the same record. Yes, yeah, and that has just always been, you know, so so like monumental. I mean, that before the first sampler, like the guys would just buy two copies of the same record and just um, use the drum breakdown and sort of repeat it and loop it out manually. So that they could rap over top of it, and or, or keep people dancing, or you know, uh, just to hype everything up, and that's where all these break records come out of. You know, these records that have these open drums or these or these big breakdowns or um, sections of the record that work really well looped out, but they're doing it manually. And when we were when I sorry when I came up DJing. You would have to buy two copies of the same record, which you know when you're you're maybe getting a few gigs here and there as a DJ or you have a part-time job, it becomes very expensive mm-hmm. uh, to own two copies of the same record. But the stuff you could do with two copies of the same record, uh, you know, made you that much better of a DJ. And then when everything went digital, they came out with this uh, device called Serato, which which allowed you to to use control records and this is going to be where that we get into the tech talk a bit because i've always found this to be such a such an ingenious idea and uh i think serato i think they're um, a technology company out of new zealand if i'm not mistaken that came up with this this original idea and it's been duplicated and now i think many many companies have it tractor and i think I can't remember the other one, but Serato is definitely the industry lead in this. So there's there's a little hardware controller box that plugs into your computer with USB, and then the ins, sorry, the outputs from your turntable go into this box, and then it passes those through and sends the signal back to the line inputs on your DJ mixer. So this thing sits in the middle of your audio signal, and what it's what what's being sent to it. Your, your control record, so you have two records that say Serato control record on them, is just a tone, like just a boo at a certain frequency. And the software then can, can it, it takes that tone 
and then in the software you load a song, an MP3 or a WAV file, into onto your virtual deck, and then the software time code maps the digital audio file to the tone and allows the tone to be the controller for it. So the starting of the record is the start of the song, and there's like very very little little latency so basically what it does is, is it allows you to play on your turntables two records and any song that you want to play that you have in your digital audio library you can basically uh, use the controller to play those songs and you can play them as if it is the record so this opened everything up for a lot of people so now you have doubles of everything so what we were talking about before we had to buy two copies of the same record you can just load it in the software you load doubles and you got doubles on everything so if anyone if you listen to some of my dj mixes and you hear me doing doubles or back-to-backs in in this in the software it's it's just so easy to do and in the software you can also put a cue point to the breakdown or the drum break or whatever and then there's a button on your mixer you press that button it goes right to that spot in the record so it almost makes it so you can you can dj without even having headphones you can because mm-hmm. you can do it all visually, but then it's like it's it's like the you know people that are doing photography now with a digital camera, and they don't know about people that used to process film and make prints in the dark room. You know, it's like it, it, you skip all of that, mm-hmm. right? You don't know you don't know how to beat match with your ear because your two turntables, uh, sorry, your your the the software tells you what the BPM of the song is, like, so you can just. You can slide the pitch controller up on the turntable, and you can see where everything matches. You can do it all visually. Um, but back to filmmaking, you know, it, it, now everyone has tools to make films like on their cell phone. So it's it's a really interesting time. Like it used to be cost prohibitive for anyone to make a feature film. Now anyone can make a feature film. I mean, we're recording a podcast in my backyard. Yeah, you know, on your phone. With, yeah, with like a hundred dollars worth of worth of gear, and I wouldn't even need all this stuff. Like we could literally. Just do it on my phone. I guess back in the day, you could have one of those tape recorders that they had in the classroom, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Like, talking about filming, you know, I mean, my iPhone 11, I think it's an 11 Pro. So it films in, like, 4K. And I literally, you know, I get I get these uh, millennials to... I guess they're a little bit younger than millennials. I get these university kids to edit my YouTube videos. Uh, and I'm joking with them now. Watch out. I, I pull up a free app on my phone and I've, you know, my first video, which I put up as a, you know, uh, Penny the Raccoon visits Dr. Cliff as a IGTV uh, episode. That was about eight minutes and it took me about five hours to edit. But I just did now another six minute video that took me two hours to edit. And I'm doing transitions and splicing out the audio and putting in music and lining up the music so that the beat or the funny sound hits the point where the drugged out ra- or the drugged out porcupine falls <laughs> over, you know, like uh 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 it's 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 becoming easy, you know. So, yes, it's kind of taken away the purity of having this digital uh, sort of DJ option instead of having two records. Um, but it's also allowing people to, I think, maybe focus on their their creativity and their craft. And maybe they don't have the ability or the time. Uh, I guess that's not an excuse. But I think it's going to open up the world to more people being able to DJ um, because it's uh, uh, it's faster. They can get into it faster and not be embarrassed, let's say. Yeah, the the stuff that people are doing with controllers is really cool. I mean, I I bought a DJ controller, so I mean, I'll always love DJing with my turntables. But now they have these units that it's basically got a couple of jog dials and a, and a fader in the middle, and uh, it replaces the need for lugging around a bunch of heavy gear. I mean, mm. first first we went from when Serato first came out. One of the things all the DJs loved, myself included, was you don't have to carry around these milk crates full of records mm-hmm. to your gigs, and you don't have to worry about you know, someone nicking one of your records, you know, which is which is a problem. I mean, if you're playing a, a, a night somewhere and there's two or three DJs playing, everyone's got their records there. Sometimes, you know, people would get sticky fingers and you'd end up losing a piece or two. Or, you know, if you went to go DJ at a friend's house, you'd forget a record there. And then, you know, that would be the last you ever saw that record. Or people came to your house and you're having a party and records would get nicked. Now, all your... All of your uh, prized possessions stay at home, and you can you have your own digital audio copies of them. Um, but these little controllers too. I mean, now instead of having to bring two turntables and a mixer, 
you can you like literally can suitcase you have a laptop you have this thing and there's actually guys that are just djing off a laptop but there are some djs in the uk i can't i can't remember the name of them that are now using controllers uh exclusively and not using turntables anymore but there still is um the culture of djing still is alive and well and people want to continue to use turntables um Red Bull has a comp has a competition called the Red Bull Three Style, which is a really fun competition because back in the day there was the DMC, which would have a a, a, a DJ competition every year, and it was more for like turntable wizardry, scratching. Um, it was like you would do a three minute set of like crazy scratching or what they call beat juggling, which is stuff you can do where you have two copies of the same record and you can manipulate the two records to, to make another beat out of the beat that's on there by doing what they call juggling. So you would you would back up the, the kick drum and the snare and I'm not going to try to beatbox and make the sound, but you could make another beat out of an existing beat and then you could do that or you could uh, do some other different kinds of really, really technical scratching and come up with a three-minute set of something that to a lot of people that aren't really into scratch or battle DJing, it's not that fun to listen to. But like it would be like the like listening to to a Steve Vai guitar solo for someone who doesn't like that kind of, you know, that kind of music. So Red Bull opened it up. And they come up with this idea that we want you to do a 15-minute DJ set where you have to use three distinctive styles of music. And the winner is the person who rocked the house the best, rocked the party the best. So you could do, you know, hip-hop, soul, reggae, or some people would be like drum and bass, uh, you know, uh, breakbeat and techno. But you have to play three distinctive styles of music and you have to rock the party the best. And it's an international competition, and I have a couple of friends who have entered, and it's it's actually a really fun night to go to the qualifiers. I'm hoping that, you know, one one day soon we're going to get the back get to go back out and see live music and live theater and, you know, stand up comedy. It's yeah. uh, you know a lot of I'm lucky where I you know I I make my living doing IT work and DJing has always been a love of mine that I've just kept kept alive on the side. I have some friends that are you know really hurting right now because they can't they can't gig. Uh, they can't do any events and you know it's it's just such a bummer mm. do you ever um do you ever feel like success guilt during the the pandemic a little bit i mean i've felt that way uh you know compared to a lot of you know a lot a lot of people that you know didn't make it out of out, out of the the, the skateboarding era you know like i have a lot of friends that did really well at that but uh you know it's like when the when the show's over you know a lot of them are working you know doing contracting you know odd jobs that kind of stuff a lot, there's a lot of people that that didn't didn't make it because of li some lifestyle choices i sadly have a a, a friend uh, that i looked up to a lot that i wish i saw and spent more time with who uh who was murdered on canada day uh, a, f a few years ago, I think it was 2015 or 2016, he was working as a, a bouncer at a nightclub in Kensington, and he was breaking up a, an altercation between a, a, a guy that was, I think, being a little handsy and rough with a young woman, and uh, he was packing a gun and just shot him and the bartender to death. Hmm. Like, it was just awful. Justin, we miss you. Um, yeah, you never want to get that call, you know, or that text where it's like, did you hear about so-and-so? And you see that text and you know. I mean, I'm lucky. I haven't lost a lot of people that I know that are of my age. Like, mm. he, he was one of the first. And he was, uh, you know, he was a, a real ambassador for the Toronto skate community. Justin Bokma, we miss you. I wonder if he'd be uh, looking down on us saying, guys, it's 15 degrees out in March. Get your ass off the couch. This is going to be a segue. Get your ass <laughs> off the couch and go skate. <laughs> go enjoy yourself. Yeah, he would be. He would. He would say, um, you know, let's get a let's get a cooler full of icy colds and let's go hit the skate park. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Right. Um, All right. Let's do this again, man. There's uh, so many other things I want. We didn't even get into tech talk. I know. There you go. So we'll uh, we'll we'll make this a, a semi regular without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and it'll give me a chance to uh, ride my uh, what do they call it? A surf skate 
Uh, that's what they call my skateboard. It's a surf skate. I want to get you a regular skateboard, but that thing is really fucking cool. It's really fun. And the thing is, 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 you know, I used to say that I skated, I, I, I skateboarded a bit when I was a kid, but I, I didn't really. I watched uh, uh, Back to the Future and started to grab the back of my buddy's bike and would ride the skateboard to, to school. Yeah, I didn't um, even bring that up. That 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 was that was a huge moment, and that that, oh, that movie yeah, made skateboarding. It came. It brought it back. Yeah, and we need to have a whole conversation about the mall grab, right? The mall grab is when you hold your board by the front trucks, like Marty McFly did. Okay. Oh and yeah. It, this and is this has since become very uncool. Oh you really? You don't carry your board like this anymore. Ah, no, you carry you, it like this. You hit the you yeah. hit the tail, I guess, or the heel. What's yeah, the back you, called? Yeah. Well, we can get some skate zones in here where you just pop it up. And grab it like he did. I used to practice doing yeah. that. Or he would go right to the mall grab. Yeah, I would. I would do it straight to the mall grab. All right, so that's uncool, eh? It's very uncool now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I. I you know what? Maybe next time we can talk about when exactly that became uncool. But it's definitely the mall <laughs> grab is uncool. And it's skate skateboarding is so funny. And one of the. I mean, we're gonna go skate very soon. But one of the cool things I like about skateboarding in the modern era is. During all these periods of skateboarding, there were tricks that were cool and uncool. And we finally gotten to a point where everything is cool. Just do it. Yeah. Just so do all it. old school tri tricks are cool. Grabs are cool. Bonelesses are cool. No complies are cool. Like all these tricks that became fashionable for little parts of, of, of the history of skateboarding. Now, like it seems like everything is welcome. And the other really cool part is that everyone is welcome. Right, yeah. you got you know people that are just getting into it. You got people that used to do it that are getting back into it. Like I'm in a Facebook group called you know uh, Skateboarders Over Forty. That's a really fun space, you know, and you get to see all these. <laughs> There's a surfer one for the exact same reason that I'm a part of. And and females are are getting on skateboards and just ripping. Yeah, you know, like. Uh, it's it's the 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 world championships of street league like there's a women's division and it's just it's just amazing to watch them. they're incredible these, eh? these girls skate so yeah i don't know if i would ever ride much a regular skateboard because the reality is, is i bought this surf skate uh this summer when i picked up surfing and if i'm lucky we get some decent waves once a week here or i should say because I'm working and everyone else who, who surfs pretty much works, uh, you know, there might be two or three waves, waves sort of periods in a week, but you can only get out to one of them. And the waves aren't great. And it's, you know, doing something once a week is not a very good way of getting good at it, right? And it's not like, I mean, I've got the balance board, you know, that goes on the, the cylinder and I'm really good at that. And, you know, I do a lot of core stuff and I'll actually go out when it's flat water and just paddle my ass off. Can you stick handle on that thing? Like those uh, kids? I probably could, except I played hockey for years, but I was a goalie. I know. So I don't know if I could stick handle, but I could probably stop the shot. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I've that's seen a, people on those balance pretty amazing. on those balance cylinders just stick handling. It's a it's a it's a good exercise. Well, I mean, I've only been doing these this balance board. I've probably done it five or six times, and you want to go shit like you pay a, a hundred bucks for that thing, and you're only using it. You've only used it five times now, but it made a huge difference, and even within five practice sessions of just 10 or 15 minutes each i'm now like going down on one knee and purposely swinging my arms and doing all kinds of moves just to see if i can kind of correct um but anyway so the surf skate is you know it mimics carving on the surfboard uh you can do the cutbacks and whatnot or at least that's eventually the goal um, what's, a, what's, what's a cutback uh it, that's that's the cool move where yeah they 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 you know they're they're riding the wave and then all of a sudden they turn into the wave and and quickly it'd be like uh it'd be like putting all the weight down on the heel on a skateboard yeah and doing so you, a 180. you hit the top of the wave and then yeah and you shoot back down the waves. That's called. There's like a a heel side and a toe side cutback. Okay. Um, so it's like front side and back side on a skate. Exactly. I, yeah. Sure. I'm I'm doing the surf skating. I'm loving it. But it is a hundred percent. I'm doing it because it's there to get me better. Well, I am surfing. I'm going to show you what I have, and we're going to go skate in a second. I have what we call in skateboarding a quiver, which is like my, my many skateboards. I know what a quiver is. So. Uh, I know that because they also call that in surfing, and people would be it's online. Probably, it's and probably say, taken from surfing. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, pretty much everything originally from skateboarding came from surfing. Right? And now, now I hate when I'm watching the freestyle skiing, and they're calling these ski tricks front side and backside, and you know, yeah. it's like 
as long as they accept the fact that it came from something else. Yeah. Right? Um, Scootering's a whole nother one, too. What I didn't realize is I thought a quiver was, you know, like eight boards, ten boards. Well, I just picked up my new board three or four days ago, and the guy said, congratulations, now you have a quiver. Because yeah. you got more than one. Exactly. That's, oh, my God. I'm actually a surfer, dude. Like, that's wicked. So you know? the thing I'm going to bust out for today, though, is I have a bigger board. So it's almost as big as your board. So it's about an inch bigger than this one uh, with bigger, softer wheels on it. Uh -huh. So, right, like riding different boards for different terrain is, is, you know, when you have a quiver, you have that luxury. And, I mean, it's a cheap sport. I mean, you go to the skate park, it's free. Mm. You buy a new setup, it costs about the same as a round of golf somewhere. Yeah. And you don't have to wear those douchey pants. <laughs> you don't have to wear the douchey pants, but it makes, you, it makes you golf better. Yeah. I don't know. I've never broken 100. I don't golf. I, I, I like to play uh, nine holes with... Uh, some decent people and a beer and some conversation. Yeah, it's, a, it's a chance to hang out with your buddies for X number of hours. Go, but you can do that surfing or uh, skateboarding. Yeah, once a season. I think I go, what did I get? What's that called when you get one under par? A uh, birdie. I got a birdie once. Once. <laughs> and you're and so I, excited. I was so excited. I think it was a par three. I play, uh, I, I don't really golf. I play whack fuck. Oh yeah, so I've heard of this. I've heard of this whack fuck. I'm, I, I'm very good at whack fuck. I have some. I have some friends that are very much into golf. I am not huge into it. I I don't love golf culture. It's I don't like just like I don't like private ski club culture. You know, it's just that the skateboarder in me just wants to just like. Eh. But you know what? Let's let's go and hit this park. Let's do it, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. We're gonna do this again. Okay. Thanks, Cliff. All right. Cheers. Peace. Peace.